Building a startup from scratch is tough. My name is Justin McLeod, and I'm your host for a new podcast series called Back to the Basics. In this show, I'll be talking to startup experts as they discuss the fundamentals of launching and running your first tech startup. Have you found that product market fit? Because I think that a lot of people, when they go into, I want to start a tech company, you know, they quickly want to go into the coding part. But honestly, like, none of that matters if you're not making money. Your first question after coming up with a cool startup idea is probably, how can I get this thing built? And if you're a non-technical person, this could be your first roadblock. In this episode, I sit down with Carlos Gonzalez, the co-founder of Tyrannosaurus Tech, a development agency based in Atlanta. Carlos and I will share tips on transforming your ideas into clickable prototypes, how to find your CTO, and best practices when outsourcing your development work. Enjoy the show. Um, so, I mean, just to tell you a little bit more about myself, um, I have a very entrepreneurial background. I would say like my first business, you know, I was like in sixth grade you know, where I was actually, you know, selling things at school and, um, and getting, getting my, my toes wet there. Um, and so it's always been a passion of mine, but then, you know, after high school, I moved here, you know, to Georgia from Puerto Rico. And so, you know, here I had to kind of reinvent myself at the same time I was out of high school. So, um, you know, I was, per- I wanted to pursue, you know, whatever was going to be my, my professional career. Um, I started early on, uh, pursuing audio engineering. And so I went, uh, pretty far down that rabbit hole, um, went to art Institute, um, to study audio engineering. Um, I didn't, you know, finish it, uh, for some, you know, personal reasons, but, um, I ended up getting, a internship on a local studio. And so like, that's how um, I basically finished my education there. Um, I started working with uh, first assisting artists and sessions and engineers um, to eventually uh, become one of the staff engineers at the studio. And that's where I actually got to work with people like, you know, Future and and those guys uh, when, when he was coming up. So, but in that, around that time, I would say that was uh, maybe nine years ago. Um, You know, I wasn't seeing music as the thing that was going to pay the bills for me or that was going to give me like the type of lifestyle I was looking for. And so um, at that point, you know, my entrepreneurial self uh, being always passionate about technology Um, I would say around 2007, you know, the iPhone came out, I got it. And then a a year later, they came up with the app store. And so I started to get all of these ideas, you know, and this was different because before I was thinking of brick and mortar businesses, but now I was thinking about digital businesses. And so, um, uh, you know, I I started to come up with app ideas. I would put together... um, you know, uh, business plans, and I would go out, seek investors. And the the question that they always would ask me first is, who's your technical co-founder? So like, I didn't have one. And so like, I got discouraged a few times, tried it a few times um, with a different ideas, and I would always get that. 
Um, and if not, you know, they wanted to see some traction, but, you know, I, I had a, a very good idea, but I didn't have the, the know-how, you know, for building it. And so at that point, you know, that mixed together with, um, you know, kind of realizing that maybe music wasn't going to be my full-time thing. Um, I, I, I basically told myself, I'm going to teach myself how to code so that I can build this, you know, apps that I'm, that, that I'm so, you know, I have all of these ideas for. Um, so that's how I started my journey. And so while I was um, engineering, I was learning how to code. Um, I would say like a two years in, you know, learning on my own, I was like, man, I need, you know, I, I'm ready now to make the transition. So I was looking for an intermediary step. And that's when I found um, the first, you know, code bootcamp ever in Atlanta, which was Tech Talent South. So like their first cohort ever, uh, you know, I, I, I got in touch with them and, you know, basically um, told them I was interested. And when they did, decided to do the first one, you know, I jumped right in and did it. And so like that was, you know, on October of, I can't remember the year to, and then I graduated December and by January, I had my first job as a developer, and that was with Career Builder. Um, so I worked with Career Builder, uh, you know, for almost a year. Um, then went out um, into the tech scene here in Atlanta and, and worked with a few different startups. Um, you know, in that process, you know, I got to work on proof of concepts for AT&T, for Harman and Kardon. Um, and so like I was, you know, networking a ton at that time, you know, meeting a lot of people and, 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 and building a lot of cool stuff. Um, so that didn't pay much, you know, cause I, that was kind of passion. So I, I, I needed to go back to the nine to five, you know, if I wanted to save up for starting my own company. And so, um, I started work, working with an e-commerce e automation company, um, in, in, and was with them for a few years. And then after that, um, I got to work shortly with David Cummings in one of the startups he was, you know, trying to launch at the time. Um, and so in working with David Cummings and being right next to him and seeing how he goes about like, you know, customer discovery, bringing people in the room and having, you know, very uh, intentional conversation. I was like, man, like, I want to go back and start this. And so everything came around for, full circle when um, the founder of Tech Talent South uh, was looking to sell his share of the business. And I was looking to start my own business. And so that's how Tyrannosaurus Tech came about. So basically work about five years as a developer before starting Tyrannosaurus Tech. And I've been in business with Tyrannosaurus Tech for the past uh, four and a half, three and a half years. So, um, yeah, that's pretty long winded story, but you know, uh, I just wanted you all to know uh, <laughs> a bit more about my background. No, that's an awesome story. I didn't know, um, your relationship with, with David Cummings and working with his start. What startup was it, by the way? Um, so at the time it was called, um, uh, what it was called, um, were great and then that evolved into like data vibe i think and then it evolved or lead time and then data vibe 
And then, and then it became like, uh, I think, I guess, Atlanta Venture Studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. He, I know he's been working on a lot of different ideas and now it's like a whole studio model now. But, but that's cool, man. I mean, it's great to hear, you know, saying like your full story and your journey and, um, you know, how you even got involved in the, in the technology. So I know one of the th things that you mentioned were, um, you know, you had an idea, you know, you really wanted to get it off the ground, but you really couldn't find, you know, a technical co-founder, you know, and that's what a lot of first-time founders kind of struggle with is just like, especially if you're non-technical, is finding that CDO, like that person to kind of sell that idea to like, hey, like, this is my idea. I want you to be on board. So what would you tell, I guess, the first-time founders, you know, when they're, you know, looking for a, a, a technical co-founder? Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of ways to go about, you know, getting a technical co-founder. My favorite one, honestly, is the one where, you know, you definitely try to go out and surround yourself by technical people. So this might be like attending, um, you know, technical events. Um, so there's a bunch of on meetup, you know, you can go to the Rails meetup or React or Python. And, you know, what, while, while you're in there, like try to, you know, meet people, like ask questions, um, but, but then, you know, like asking, once you identify, you know, somebody tells you they're a developer, you kind of like initially vet them, they have some experience, um, asking them very specific questions about how to implement what you're trying to do. Because that's a great way for you to start to get um, people interested. If, if you come, you know, if you go straight to a person and tell them, hey, you know, like I have an idea, I need a technical co-founder, come join me. Um, well, you know what, like they have their own ideas um, or they might get that all the time or, you know, why would they go, uh, you know, like uh, risk their nine to five, you know, and go work with a stranger, you know, like I think that it's all, it's all in the relationship building and honestly asking questions. I think by, by asking questions, um, you know, it is a great way to get that person thinking about how to, create the thing that you're trying to create. Um, and so if you see that that person is willing, that, that starts to make their time available and say, hey, you know, if you have any other questions, let me know. You know, you continue engaging those people. Eventually you develop a relationship with them and it may end up being that they are the ones that offer and say, hey man, like, you know, I can build this for you or, um, or, whatever, you know, if you're trying to find somebody, let me know, or ah, I know, I know this person that's interested. But, but yeah, I think that that's my favorite approach, you know, just surround yourself by technical people, you know, find ways to, you know, talk with them and get them interested in your idea by asking questions, you know, not even like saying, join me as a CTO or anything like that. Um, you know, just get them interested in the problem you're trying to solve. And I was going to add too, like, um, so how do you feel about like knowing like the right type of uh, developer? Because there's different, you know, programming languages out there. I know when I first started my startup company, you know, I was at, at Georgia State and I was in the computer information systems department <laughs> and not the computer science department. So those are two different things. But I just thought, OK, computer, computers. But, you know, if you're talking, I guess, to somebody that's like strictly, you know, doing the back end rather than or doing the front end and then they can't 
they're not as familiar with like creating, you know, databases and, you know, um, you know, whatever it is on the back end. Um, how, how would you go about, I guess, even vetting the co-founder? Because say somebody say, hey, I want to join you. But then if they're not, you know, capable of doing, you know, exactly like what you need to do in an in immediate sense, how do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, especially when you're starting out, there's not a lot of funds. Any help is welcome. Now, between like accepting some help and giving out equity, like those are two different things or calling somebody a CTO. Um, I think that, you know, going back to the point of asking a lot of good questions to these technical people that you're meeting, um, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of great questions around, you know, like what technologies should I use to build this, um, you know, and, and then get the perspective of different people so that you start to build a little bit of a profile um, and, 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 you know, documentation that you can look back and say, well, you know, out of the 10 people I've talked to, like three of them, you know, have mentioned React is really, would be really good for what I'm doing and AWS or Ruby, you know, so, so that, that'll, you know, hopefully that'll start to give you a little bit more direction in terms of, you know, who do you need? Um, but if you get like somebody that offers, again, you know, like I wouldn't make anyone a co-founder be, just because they offered, uh, but, you know, if, if they are there, if they're willing to help, then they can potentially, if nothing else, help you figure out those things, you know, and dive in a little bit deeper. And, you know, and maybe you, you might say, hey, so, okay, so this is the scope of what I'm trying to build, or this is what I'm trying to build. What technologies do you think I should use? And then they might list them out. And then you can get into conversations and ask them, why? Why should I pick this this uh, for a front end framework or this for a back end framework? And you know, at the same time that you're learning, you're all, you're starting to uncover complexities and, um, and and what may end up becoming the building blocks of your platform. All right. And um, so kind of just to uh, transition over to like, I guess, like, you know, dev shops, you know, so, somebody decides to, um, instead of going through, you know, just having a technical co-founder, but they're really trying to move, I guess, move fast. Uh, or get something like more robust built out and have like a, de a development team with the dev shop. Like what, what would you say is like the biggest difference between working with the, um, a, a technical co-founder compared to working with, you know, an uh, uh, entire like dev shop? Right, right. Well, the first thing that I'm going to say is, you know, it's the, the people, you know, developers that are out there that, it, that are like CTO, or technical co-founder material, um, but more for us from the standpoint of what a startup needs, right? Because, you know, it's really hard. You know, there, there's not a lot of them out there. Or the ones that are have cushy jobs, you know, like they're not trying to leave what they're doing to work with you necessarily. Um, so I guess all I'm saying is finding a person that is able to build your application, you know, from from um, you know design to front end development to back end development to like you know creating um, all of the uh, you know database models you know like that's gonna be a very very experienced person you know that's not gonna be uh, somebody that just came out of a boot camp so 
you know, that's something to keep in mind. You know, like when you're thinking about a technical co-founder, you need to, first of all, you know, level set your expectations, you know, with, with what, um, you know, what you should have expect out of, out of that person. Like, you know, you shouldn't, um, it's not going to be the person that's going to build you what you're looking for necessarily. Right. And then the other thing is that what you need today as a technical, you know, co-founder or, or somebody technical to do is not what you're going to need in the future. So, you know, once you get to the point where you start hiring people, you know, and, and that technical co-founder that you hired um, that now has equity needs to start managing, you know, different people, different personalities. He needs to start, you know, uh, looking for them, hiring them, giving them direction. You know, all of a sudden their role becomes more managerial and not a lot of code is involved, right? And so, you know, that's the other thing to keep in mind. And so, you know, and, and taking, taking it back to your question, you know, working with a dev shop, you know, the good thing to, of working with a dev shop specifically at the beginning is that you get a wide range of skill sets that are part of the team that you're working with. Assuming that you're working with one that's, you know, on the, on the small side, but, uh, but not like one or two people, right? Um, so by working with them, you know, they have the different skill sets that are necessary to bring a product to life. And so that means that, you know, within their team, they can make the necessary arrangements so that, um, if, you know, efficiencies are gained from assigning the work that each person is best at, right? Um, so if you have a budget, honestly, and you have a very well-defined vision um, of what you're looking for, I think that a dev shop might be, you know, a better approach. Um, if nothing else, in helping you, like, you know, figure out uh, what the entire scope of your vision is, then whittling that down to, a, to a, an MVP and then uh, potentially executing on it. Right. Because, uh, again, you know, even though you're going to have to pay for it, um, you, you get what you're paid for. And, and you know, and, and it's going to be much better than um, in most cases than, you know, working with this one person that, you know, may or may not be able to do all of these different things. So another thing that I'm going to add on the CTO bucket, you know, I think that it's very important to if you if you are, you know, like very committed to getting a technical co-founder or CTO is finding somebody that is resourceful. So it, if they cannot do it, they know people that can, you know, like whether it is friends um, or people that work for them, you know, you want that person that, um, that it's going to get it done. And that is the most important quality, um, in my opinion, uh, for a CTO, especially early stage. And um, I was going to add just, um, well, not add, but just kind of uh, seeing the conversation on just getting, like you said, being, having a very clear vision of, you know, uh, before you even reach out to, you know, a dev shop. I remember when, you know, before we even, you know, my first startup company, we, you know, we had a team of like junior developers, but, you know, it got to the point where they didn't know, you know, you know, the next step. So we had to essentially, you know, 
compile everything and get everything together like very, 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 very specific before we even reached out to like, you know, outsource uh, work. So the question is, is um, you know, how prepared do you need to be um, as a founder, you know, with, you know, you have the vision for the business and how you want it to work, but like as far as like detailing things out all the way to like something that's very granular with your um, technical aspect of it, um, how prepared do you need to be uh, before, you know, reaching out to a development team? Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, you should be as prepared as you can. That said, like, even reaching out to specifically dev shops, because like dev shops, like their, their job is, you know, to develop software. And so they talk to a lot of leads. And so like, it, it happens in my day to day, like I talk, I talk to 90 people before I get, you know, like the, the one client, right? Maybe, maybe that's, you know, a little bit excessive, you know, but you know, it, it, it takes for me to talk to a lot of people before I get like um, a new client for a dev shop. And so like for all of the other ones I, I talked to, like if it didn't, if it doesn't work out for one, one reason or another, at least I ended up, you know, pointing them to the, in the right direction so that, um, they can begin to define, um, you know, the scope of, of what, what they're trying to build. Um, but, you know, so again, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say like you necessarily be, need to be super prepared before you reach out. You can reach out, you know, as, a, as early as you want. Um, and if nothing else, you know, tell them what you, what you have. Um, and then they'll tell you, hey, you know, that, that's awesome, but we need like this other list of things before we can help you further. Or they might say, hey, we offer this discovery session, you know, um, discovery session that, that can help you, uh, you know, define better um, your scope and what you're trying to go after or that MVP. Um, and so that might be helpful at the time. But, you know, but of course, again, you know, I would say definitely be as prepared as possible. Defi you don't need to necessarily uh, break things down into specific features or think through, um, you know, the tech, the technicalities of building it or anything like that. I think, you know, the, the most important thing that you can do as a technical, as a non-technical founder um, is, you know, define, define your product from the customer perspective and how it, how it is going to help the customer and then pre and then bring that to the technical people so that they can help you uh, create a plan for how to build it and a scope for it. And, um, and yes, to, to, to piggyback on, on the scope of it. So, um, you know, not me personally, but, you know, just me just running different programs and stuff like that. I've heard kind of like some nightmare stories and, and working with some dev shops in regards to just like, you know, pricing or, the, or then the expectations not being met, you know, in regards to, you know, the price for something and compared to what they were, you know, delivered. So can you kind of like, Talk about, I guess, like, what's, like, the price range for, you know, a first-time founder that's, you know, expecting to pay for, like, the first iteration of their product. So they already have, you know, their MVP. Um, you know, they have some form of validation and proof of concept. But now they're like, okay, well, and they have, they probably have a technical co-founder, but, you know, they want to kind of ramp it up. Um, you know, what, what would you say in regards to just, like, 
pricing and like expectations for working with a, a, develop, a development shop? Right. Um, well, you know, that's a loaded question. You know, like it's really hard to, you know, give you, give you a number or estimate. You know, I, I would definitely say that, um, I guess, you know, uh, a first iteration could be a clickable prototype, right? So, you know, maybe that's, that was the proof of concept. I don't know, but a clickable prototype is what I would recommend anyone, you know, to do in the beginning, because with a clickable prototype, you can actually demonstrate what your product does without it functioning, but at least you get to click through the different screens and, and, and if you put it in somebody's hands, like they can kind of feel the experience of it and the utility of it. So, you know, clickable prototypes are great. And, and honestly, what I would recommend anyone to develop as a first step, because also once you have a clickable prototype, it is inf infinite, you know, infinite more, um, you know, infinitely easier for the development team to actually come up with a scope and give you a more accurate quote. Um, the more you're leaving out, you know, to the imagination, uh, when you reach out to uh, a developer firm or, so, or somebody that is quoting you for work, you know, the more that they are gonna miss the target in terms of budget, in terms of timeline and all of those things. So you definitely wanna expose as many things as possible with what you're putting in front of them so that, so that they are, um, you know, estimating, estimating as accurate as possible, even though, you know, it's really hard to do, honestly. Um, what we do here for the most part would be giving our customers a ballpark. And so, you know, at least it's a ballpark that they know it could, it could go either way. Uh, we could cut some features that could help it stay on the lower end or, you know, worst case scenario, like they, they know how, how far it, it can go. But even when the contract is written, like, you know, there, there's still some wiggle room there because requirements will change during development. And the longer the project, so like if, if we're talking about, you know, honestly, like the, the longest project I would estimate upfront is three months of work. After three months of work, like complexities, like just get out of hand and it's really hard to envision how, you know, or, or, or estimate accurately, accurately past that point. So, you know, if nothing else, you know, going back to the conversation, you know, like if you, going back to what you asked, um, I would say that if you have the monetary resources, I would plan, I would create, I would make sure that my MVP fits within three months of work. So if you're talking about one person working for three months full time, um, you know, 40 hours a week times four times three. So that's 480 hours. So, you know, I would say that that is, that is enough time to build something solid as long as we're talking about a limited scope. You know, it's not going to be, um, you know, a, a bunch of features in there, right? But because you want to focus anyways on the wow factor of your product. But then, you know, if we're talking cost, I mean, 
you know, like development agencies around town would, would, would charge anywhere from $100 an hour to uh, $180. You know, I know that our range falls between $150 and $180. So, but if, but at a hundred dollars an hour, you know, that that's, you know, $48,000. Um, again, you know, maybe something that it's not, um, maybe too expensive for a first time co-founder, but then there's other alternatives like outsourcing. And so I have my opinions on that as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess just to, uh, to go on that in regards to like, you know, outsourcing, you know, if, if, if your first time, well, it's two questions, kind of like, one was like the tools, that, what, what tools would you recommend in regards to like applicable prototype for, yeah. for founders? Um, that's one that's kind of like familiar with others um, and they can, you can, they can kind of pass that along so it makes it easier for the process. And then um, the follow along question would be, um, you know, your thoughts around just like outsourcing, like getting on Upwork or, you know, just doing, doing, you know, stuff that's overseas and not necessarily like somebody that's like in town. Right, right. Well, um, in terms of tools for the clickable prototype, um, you know, there's Envision is the one that I use uh, or we use here. Um, there is Figma, there is um, Marvel tool, Marvel app. Um, and there's a few others. And to be honest, like, you know, before, I would recommend before you get a technical co-founder, start to start working with a UI UX designer and work on that clickable prototype. You know, that would be like a very actionable, you know, first recommendation I would give you hundred percent. Like, don't even like approach, you know, you can approach like this, um, agencies, you can approach, um, people, you know, like, um, potential technical co-founders, but honestly, don't even, you know, <laughs> don't even do it before you have a clickable prototype, because I'm telling you, like, it's going to make all, all of the difference. Um, and, and, and even if you show that to a potential technical co-founder and they see that you've put in that much work, like they, they're going to be excited about working with you because they know that, you know, you have skin in the game. Um, but it, it, it also, it would also help you, you know, raise funds potentially, you know, you show potential investors. Um, and if you bring it to an agency, like an agency is going to be able to give you a much more accurate quote. So, you know, that's, that's one actionable thing when it comes to outsourcing development. Um, I would say, you know, oh man, like a lot of thoughts around that, like it's mixed feelings, right? Like we, we've actually, a lot of our customers, you know, throughout the years are people that are coming to us with code bases that are a mess because they developed them, you know, overseas. Others have actually have great experiences, but the only, the, the main issue is that when you're working overseas, um, you know, you, the, the, there's a language barrier and then there's also like a time zone, you know, um, difference. So, you know, you're, you, if you're working with people in India or in Asia, like, you know, you're going to have to, you know, your 12, you know, PM is going to be like their 12 AM. So, um, so you need to kind of, you know, stay up till the AM so that you can coordinate with them. And then if they didn't understand something correctly, then you, that you told them because of language barrier, what ends up happening is that 
they work all of that day on that feature and then send it to your way, you know, in the morning or, or whenever they're done. And, and now it is all wrong. And so like you need to, there's a lot of back and forth. And, they, and what ends up happening there is that maybe they're like $20 an hour, but they end up putting so much, you know, hours in getting something fixed or even like understanding what you're trying to get them to develop that, um, you know, you, you may end up spending, you know, you may still end up spending a lot of money. So if you're planning to work with an outsource, you know, development resource, uh, I would recommend definitely put together that clickable prototype first. Um, once you have that, you know, work locally with somebody technical that can help you create a scope of work for that project, a more technical scope of work. Um, you know, and then, you know, once you have that, if you can get with a project manager, somebody that can help you even get, you know, more granular about like the tasks that may be involved. And after, after you have all of that, then approach, you know, an overseas job, because at that point, I think that, you know, you're going to have the project so well defined, hopefully, that it's going to be hard for them to mess up. But guess what? They're going to still going to mess up. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's really hard to collaborate with them. I think to make it a little bit easier, um, you might want to choose to select a dev shop in Latin America. So like we actually um, use some development shops that are partners um, and they are in Colombia, some in Argentina. And so there are some, you know, really good teams in Latin America. And, and the good thing is that they are in, in the same time zone. I think that depending on who it is, you, you're going to still have like the language barrier potentially, but at least, um, you know, it's somebody that, that you can work, work with on the same time zone. Um, you know, I've tried Upwork, honestly, um, but I haven't had much success. Of course, you know, I'm an agency, so, you know, I, I, my requirements are a little bit different. Um, I, I've tried TopTal. Um, I haven't tried their people, but I've been involved in their process. I think that they make it a little bit easier uh, to identify somebody, but the rate is still gonna be a little bit on the high side. Um, yeah, I would say in terms of choosing a dev agency that it's outside of the States, the best case scenario is somebody from here recommends you to them. You know, like you, you find somebody local that has had success working with some overseas or, you know, onshore dev shop. Um, and then you get them to give you their information or put you in touch with them. And that, that, that would basically, um, that, that would be the best case scenario, honestly. No, that, that was great. Great advice. Um, and kind of just add on that as well, just like, how do you feel about um, some dev shops or even CTOs and co-founders um, um, working for, you know, sweat equity? So essentially they're, they're helping you build out, uh, they'll probably cut the, the cost in regards to like, say from 48,000 to, hey, it's 20,000, but we will take this percentage of equity. How do you feel about some of those you know, shops and, and should founders uh, kind of stray away from those type of shops that are looking to, to take equity um, and then vice versa for CTO, um, 
what does that relationship look like if, if a co-founder was coming on for like sweat equity? Yeah, yeah. I would say that, um, you know, if you're, if you're able to manage to create a situation like that, especially with a dev shop that is willing to um, build something for you in exchange for equity, um, I think that that's rare, to be honest. Like, honestly, even looking at, we've, we've talked to a lot of people that have brought that to us, but honestly, like, it never, it never makes financial sense. Um, because at the end of the day, 99% of startup fail, you know, it is what it is. We cannot, you know, pick the winners. If, if we could, then we would be like, you know, investing or doing something um, else. Um, so, you know, a lot of, but, you know, there, there could be the potential that a dev shop, you know, sees potential on what you're doing, believes in you as a co-founder, um, and, and maybe has some, some guys that are sitting on the bench, you know, that are not, um, that are not being staffed. And so like they can offer them to you. So, yeah, I mean, if that happens, I would say like, you know, something that I've learned, uh, particularly with, with this venture is that, man, it's, it's really important to have a lawyer on your corner. Um, and, and so if you don't know one, like I, I would encourage you to start developing a relationship with a lawyer because um, they are infinitely helpful when it comes to, you know, getting things down in paper, but also like even um, as you're having those conversations, like they can help you, they can guide you, you know, through, through that, you know, so that you can start to do the initial due diligence and get things in place that, that then they can draft into an actual agreement. Um, Man, I would strongly, strongly recommend that. I think that it not, not only protects you, um, but it, uh, it, it also shows the other end, you know, that being a technical co-founder or a company, that you are serious. You know, like if, if you have to ink something, you know, in writing and, and this was put together by a lawyer, like people just take things that much more seriously. Um, so, you know, that is something that before this venture, you know, I, I, I didn't engage with much, you know, with lawyers at all, honestly, but then, you know, my, my partner, you know, was keen on it, you know, from the beginning, I was like, man, like this truly makes a difference. So, um, so yeah, I would say like get things in writing. I think that with a CTO, like I would always do like the four year, you know, with a cliff, you know, vesting. So, and maybe you can shorter, short, shorten that term, you know, if, it, if it's a really strong person. But basically what that looks like is, um, you know, you negotiate a percentage of the company for, for that CTO. Um, let's say it's, um, you know, 20%. And so, and then once you negotiate that 20%, uh, basically you would create an agreement where they are going to vest that 20% over four years, but there is a cliff at, at the, you know, till the end of the first year. So if they drop off um, before the end of the first year, they don't get any equity. Um, if they stay with you all, all the way through the end of the first year, then at that point they earn 5%. And then from that point on every month, they start earning you know, like the, you know, now you have 15% that 
they have 15% left to vest over uh, another three years. So they are going to start earning that every month um, for as long as they are with the company. And then if for some reason things don't, don't work out and they leave, you know, you would essentially, you know, if you worked an agreement with a, with a lawyer, um, you know, there's going to be a clause there that you can buy their shares back and you can do that at any time whenever you want to. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. And then with, you know, with a dev shop, like, again, you know, you, you'll need to see like, what, what are the motivations of this dev shop to do this? You know, like, to be honest, like dev shop, uh, margins are slim as is, you know, like developer salaries are very high. You need to offer them a bunch of perks so that they stay with you. You know, the offices need to be on point. You got to pay health insurance. Like there is a lot of overhead. Like you got the project manager that you're not necessarily billing for her time. You got account managers, you got salespeople, you know, like it just adds up. Right. So like, I would say, you know, we, we, for example, to give you a more concrete example, like after everything is said and done, even at those high rates that I mentioned earlier, like what we end up bringing home, you know, ends up being more of a 15% average, you know, in, in terms of net income, which, you know, if you do your research, like that's, I, I would say like anything above 10%, you know, it's kind of on the healthy side, right? But, but still, it's really low. So like, if I'm going to, if at the end of the day, what I'm bringing home, you know, net income for the business, um, it's 15%. That's basically the wiggle room that I have to play with. <laughs> so if I'm going to, uh, you know, pay, you know, the development of some startup that I really like, you know, you, you can start to see how, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the business may end up with no income, you know, depending on the uh, intensity at which they're helping or contributing. So. That's good. I think that that was excellent. <laughs> I don't think that we, we haven't got to the, um, you know, the in-depth part about, um, you know, lawyers and um, the vesting process, but I think you explained it like perfectly. Um, but I guess a couple more questions that I have and I'll open it up for if anybody else has any questions. Um, so, you know, when should, you know, a founder you know, go from configuring? So we, talked, we had a lesson lab a couple weeks ago or last week with uh, Morgan and um, you know, he runs Polar Notion uh, Dev Shop. And um, he talked about how con configuring versus customized. So configuring basically whatever's out there that's already available and kind of like piecing things together. Um, when should uh, you know, a, a founder like, you know, get to a point where it's like, okay, like I've, I've pieced this together and now it's time to like actually start building out a fully like, you know, customized thing, a uh, customized product. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 so for sure, there's definitely a ton of tools out there to use, you know, like Sapier being one, you know, that allows you to, you know, it already integrates with a bunch of other tools. So using that, you know, as the glue, you know, with several other tools, you can definitely piece together a solution, you know, that, that you can start making money off of. I would say that, you know, traction, man, like once you have some traction, so, you know, that, that could look, that, that depends, right? If you're going after customer, you know, like consumers, you know, maybe you want to aim for a higher number, 
um, of customers before you start investing, um, you know, with, with uh, if you're doing B2B, maybe you do aim for a lower number. So maybe it is that you go after, you know, 20 B2B customers or a hundred, you know, um, you know, consumer customers before you start to um, actually invest, you know, and I think that even having that, that, that traction is going to help you raise money if you need to raise money. So, so yeah, if, if you can start making money um, with a Frankenstein, you know, put together, you know, system, like, man, like the more power to you, that's what you should be doing. Um, and honestly, like there are, there are ways in which you can even build applications without code. So like one example is Bubble, you know, bubble.io, I think, or IS, you know, that's uh, basically a visual editor for building web applications. So you could even like, you know, legit, you know, yourself or, you know, because it's, so, it's more of a visual build, builder, you can even leverage more junior people to help you out build a product um, in, that, in that tool. Um, and then whatever shortcomings, I'm sure you can, you know, again, integrate with other systems to um, make, make up for. But I think that that would be a very, very, very solid approach to start with. And, you know, um, that's, that's what um, coins started with. So coins, excuse me, their, their first, you know, few years, their, their platform was built on um, Bubble. So, you know, um, and, you, and, you, and you've seen all of the noise that Christian has been able to make. So, you know, it doesn't take away from, you know, whatever you're trying to do. I think that um, yeah, it, it's, it's more about like the, the utility of what you're building. Is it something that's helping? Have you found that product market fit? You know, um, those are the more important questions to answer, because I think that a lot of people, when they go into, I want to start a tech company, you know, they quickly want to go into the coding part because I mean, like if I have a tech, uh, a tech company, you know, like it, it must have some tech behind it, you know, and if it's custom, you know, it's, you know, awesome and this and that, but honestly, like none of that matters if you're not making money. Um, you know, you need to pay your bills, you know, you need to pay, um, for, for a growing team, you know, there, there's a lot of, of things that you need to prioritize. Um, so, so yeah, you know, getting, yeah. getting some traction, making some money. I think that that's, that's when, you know, you know, it's time to do something more robust. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I think that, um, like I said, Hey, so one of the, so I guess some of the suggestions that you said again was to, of course, um, start working on a clickable prototype. And you also said, um, start working with a UX, uh, UI designer and a yeah. product and a product manager. Those are some suggestions you had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, when it comes to the more junior talent, you know, like, I think that, you know, enlisting a junior dev just graduated from a boot camp to help you, you know, like, um, code your application. I think that that's a tall order. That said, I think that, you know, there's a lot of UI UXers coming out of those, you know, boot camps product managers as well. They are trying to build their portfolio. And honestly, it's all about like 
their design skills at this point because you're going to be giving them a lot of guidance in terms of you know what you want and they are going to apply um, the the user experience and design um, capabilities that they have and so coming up with a clickable prototype like this is definitely a lot more doable uh, for them than creating a full-blown application would be for a more junior person so um, you know I think that that's a great way to start um, and, and begin conversations for sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back to the Basics, powered by Thrive. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and share this show with your fellow first-time founders. You can find this episode along with resources and tools discussed at squareoneschool.com backslash content. For our next episode, we sit down with Jermaine Brown, a founder who bootstrapped his startup to an $11 million company without raising any outside capital. See you soon.